be here at Gardendale with you all, and I uh, love your, your staff, love your pastor and family, and uh, Pastor John and, and uh, Pastor James and family. We just, we absolutely love them, and it's a, a joy to be with you here. John asked me a, a while back to come on this Sunday. You wouldn't believe this, but around this time of year, no one wants the DS to come to their church. They're usually busy with uh, Christmas things. Matter of fact, my kids are actually involved in a Christmas program this morning at Madison Church, and so they couldn't come and be a part of today. But my wife sends greetings, and the boys send greetings. Uh, they, they go with me about once every six weeks, maybe, depending on the schedule, and travel with me. I've, I've traveled the district now for over 60-plus thousand miles since I became the district superintendent. So I hope you bear with me if I'm not here very often with you. I have to get around to a lot of places, and so it's been, it's been great to be um, a privilege, honestly, to serve on our district. We're seeing some good things happen, as James mentioned, especially within our, in our NY, we're seeing some really good things occur, and so I appreciate all those that serve and all those that give, and it's been good to hear some of the stories of how you're blessing your community as a church family, and so it's good to be here. Uh, my parents didn't make the trip with me today, though. They, they're coming down from Kentucky, and, and uh, they were, they're here with me today. And so it's good to have them with me. I don't get to um, be with them in church very often. And so I'm glad to have them here with me as well. Well, uh, I, I, today I'm going to preach a passage that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you when you hear me read it when we're talking about the theme of joy. It won't mean, when I'm reading it, you're going to say, I don't know how this is going to come together. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure I can do justice to bring this together. But I'm going to do the best I can this morning with the Lord's help uh, to, to deliver this word to us today. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 18. I, I've got it here, but I'm probably going to read from my phone. So I may not be able to see all that. My eyes are going on me these days. Take any posture you choose in the reading of God's word. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than amount, the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered, all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning I want to show you a, a little video of a boy that I came across recently. Just a little backstory. This was the first time this child had ever heard anything. Couldn't hear before. When I saw that, I knew I had to show it because it gives me this visual of what pure joy looks like. If you've never been able to hear and then all of a sudden you can, that's more than just a moment of happiness. And I don't know about you, but I like to be around people of joy. I like to be around people who have joy about them because the opposite of joy is just real, a real downer for me. I, I, I don't know, I, every year at this time, I usually would mention Christmas shows because I just reference them throughout the sermons. Last night after the ball game we watched, it, it, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was coming on. Now I want you all to know, I have no shame in telling you that I like that show. But there's one part in that show... <coughs> where if they get to the island of misfit toys, how many know what I'm talking about? The island of misfit toys, yeah. <coughs> and you know that, that spokesperson on that island of toys. If you get to them uh, before old Rudolph saves the day and they're just telling their story, man, they're real downers. I wouldn't want to be stuck around a crowd like that. I read this story recently. There was a fellow who was about to jump from a bridge. An alert police officer slowly and methodically moved toward him, talking with him all the time. When the officer got within inches of the man, he said, Surely nothing could be bad enough for you to take your life. Tell me about it. Talk to me. The would-be jumper told of how his wife had left, how his business had, had gone bankrupt, how his friends had deserted him. Everything in life had lost meaning. He continued on. For 30 plus minutes, he told this sad story. Then they both jumped. The man was looking for happiness in the things of the world. And when all he thought would make him happy was gone, he didn't see a point in going on and he took others down with him. He wasn't happy, but even worse, he had no joy in his life. I think that's one of the problems so many of us face today. We want to be happy, of course we do. We want to be happy and we look for happiness in stuff. We look for it in money, jobs, entertainment, and people. 
When I was a kid, I liked going with my grandma to the store because every time I had a chance to go with her, she would buy me something that I wanted. Usually, it was the latest and the greatest, and some of these younger ones here would have no clue, but maybe some of you do. They would get, she would give me the latest He-Man action figure. I loved those things. She would always buy that for me, and it made me so happy, or at least it did for the moment, until I heard the next one was coming out. I look forward to Christmas each year because she always got me what I wanted. And one year I unwrapped the present that was under the tree and, and it was nothing but a piece of paper with writing on it. I was not happy at all. Where was the gift I wanted? I didn't want a piece of paper and I don't remember now, but that piece of paper was actually a check. And some of our young folks don't know what a check is either these days. But it was a check. And in that check, and I don't know, my mom would probably remember, but it was either like $100 or even $300. I don't remember, but I was told that I said these words. I don't want a stupid check. Now that check could have bought me much more than I asked for, but I wasn't happy. For some folks, they think if I could just hit that home run or, or, or make that next go or win the next game or close the deal on the job and, and get the contract, if I could just... If I could just get that guy or girl to say yes to a date, if I could just get that vehicle or that house, then I would be set, all would be well. I'd be happy and good to go. Now look, there's nothing wrong with wanting something new and shiny or having a little more funds or having great success or being in a wonderful relationship. But the problem comes in when we think if we just have those things, then we'll be happy and then we'll be good. Now, it might make us happy for a few minutes or even a month or two, but eventually that feeling is gone. Because there's not a one of us in here that would argue that happiness is fleeting. And that's why I think it's important that we go deeper into the understanding of joy biblically. Because too often we simply define joy as a type of happiness that shines with glitter and light. But maybe joy is something much deeper than that. Maybe it's something that goes beyond a momentary feeling of happiness to a deeply rooted sense of identity. I know you're probably thinking right now, well, this is a weird passage to even talk to us about this subject and, and to bring up John the Baptist to talk on peace. And, and now you're talking about him speaking of joy here. I mean, it is odd to use it when it comes to that subject, but I believe that hope, peace, and joy are linked so very closely in our lives, and this story needs to be dealt with all the way through in order for us to see it. What I like about John the Baptist and your pastor, John, is that he never breaks character. He's authentic. He has a job to do as the one that's preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And so this loud man, and he was very loud, he pulls no punches on the elite people of his hour or the common folk who are coming out to the desert to hear what he has to say. John wasn't concerned about church growth models out there. He wasn't anxious on whether or not he would have enough money to keep on going. He didn't care if people liked him or not. He wasn't trying to tickle their ears as he preached to perhaps get a large enough following that someday he could be on TV. No, John knew he had the truth in his heart and that truth must be revealed to the people so they could be ready for the coming king and his kingdom. Yeah, John didn't worry 
if what he said or did made the people happy. He was after something much deeper than that. Of course, I'm sure you recognize that by his words of welcome to the people as we read the passage when they arrived out there near to him, I would assume, as I read through that, I would assume that one of the rules to public speaking is don't insult the people you are speaking to. Don't insult them or call them a bunch of names. That would probably be a good start for us. But John, in his urgency to get folks ready for King Jesus, he just starts blurting out what he believed to be true. He actually called them as they come out to him. He says, you're a bunch of snakes. You're a brood of vipers. He likened them to snakes scurrying away from a spreading fire. He sees them as people running to escape the wrath that is to come. He knew that many weren't really sincere out there, but, but John was in their face and, he, and he's screaming all kinds of things at them. Matter of fact, he is screaming what Fred Craddock once said. He said he's screaming to all that the devices for maintaining an illusion of innocence must be abandoned. He didn't want anything false out there. He wanted everything to come to the light. You've got to let go of all these illusions. You've got to be real. That's what he was getting at. You see, the people that came out there... As I've said before uh, with this group of people, if you read deeper into it, they came out there looking for a new exodus. They came out there wanting freedom from oppression. They were looking for a time that God would bring renewal, but they weren't sure how it would happen. And John stands there in this, in this desert and he turns things upside down or right side up, however you want to put it. And they figured, because they were the people of Israel, that, that, that somehow they were the descendants of Abraham, that that would qualify them as ready for the king. So a great portion of people thought their heritage would save them. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy to you, to live under such false hope. But i got to tell you, I've come across many in my ministry come across many who really believe that they, because they grew up in a Christian home or they have Christian grandparents and they assume because they were Christian then I am as well. I've had people tell me these stories. Others occasionally attend a church service on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night and they think, well, you know what? That's good enough. I'm quite ready for the king, I believe. I showed up, and God loves everybody, so I should be good to go. And by the way, not only did I show up, I felt happy when I left. So that feeling confirms something for me. Some think, well, I joined that, that church over there years ago. I've had this said to me. I've joined that church over there years ago, and I even went through communion and baptism. So I'm set. I'm ready for the King. Some think, you know, I read the Bible here and there, and I, I do good deeds from time to time, and so I think I'm ready. Let me tell you another one that's kind of dropped on the scene for us over the, probably the last 8 to 20 years, but there's been something else that's kind of come up in this being ready. Some people think, I'm from America, so that should sew it up. Now listen, I'm grateful to be born in the United States of America, but let me be clear to you. The fact that you are a citizen of a certain nation doesn't mean anything when it comes to the kingdom of God. God isn't standing for any nation. If you actually read through the scripture, he's not standing for any particular nation. He stands for his holy name. That's what God does. 
Now, none of these things save us in and of themselves. God's ways are always different than the world's ways, no matter where in the world we find ourselves. And John was pleading with the people to see that God was calling them to something more. He's out there saying, God is calling you to something much more. And the fruit they were producing in their lives was not the fruit that the children of God would or should produce. For John, and more importantly, Jesus, justice and compassion should be the fruits of God's people. It should spill out of them. It's kind of symbolic for me when I read that, uh, uh, the fact that John is out there baptizing, uh, baptizing people. And when they come up out of the water, the water continues to drip off of them as they go. You can actually see a trail of it. And John believes that that is what is to happen for the people of God out there. When they come up and receive new life in a new kingdom, everywhere they go, everywhere they go, the ways of that kingdom should ooze out, pour out onto those around them. You see, our lives are to produce by the grace of God a fruit that impacts the world. He gave a description of this tree with an axe in this passage already at the root. If it doesn't produce fruit, he said it's supposed to be cut down. Now, when you hear passages like that, you start to think, man, this guy, he's not only out there, it seems like he's angry out there. It seems like he's ruthless. It seems like he's harsh. But he needs to get them to know that there, there has to be a change in our lives. There has to be a transformation in the lives of the people who follow God. Because some things that mattered don't matter anymore. And some things that didn't matter now matter now. And that's why John keeps on talking about repentance out there. What a gift, by the way. Did you know that repentance is a gift of God to us? It's a gift. And, and, and over the years, it's taken on different meanings in different places. I've heard some pastors tell people that to repent is to say you're sorry to God for the ways you've rebelled against Him. But that's not what John meant when he was preaching. I, I've told my boys over the years to do certain things, and with three boys in the home, believe me, it's a very difficult process. And when they didn't do what they knew they were headed to do, they were headed for trouble, they would say these words, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'd say, what, sorry you got caught? Sorry you're in trouble now? Or perhaps they were sorry to some degree that they had grieved us as parents, but when they repeated the act, which they do sometimes, they'd say, I'm sorry. I'd say, no, you're not. You're not sorry. Because if you were, you would stop and make a different choice. You wouldn't keep doing the same thing. And John wants the people to move from being sorry about some things in their lives to a place of change. We should be sorry for the things we've done, but to be ready for this coming king is to turn from our ways and go in a completely different direction. Repentance is a complete reorientation and transformation of one's life. Complete reorientation. What John is after isn't works righteousness here, that we just come and do it, but it's a repentance of both our heart and our hands. It's about being a follower of Jesus and his ways. It's becoming part of a whole new family that God is creating. And as we enter it, we start to grow and understand what the something more is that God actually has for us. John kept on preaching. As folks came, a question arose for many of them. 
It's a question that probably should be asked by anyone seeking to follow Jesus. It was a question that was asked in Acts through the first messages given by the newly formed and empowered church. Peter preached and they asked this question. Here's the question. What should we do? Here they asked John, what should we do when we come up out of the waters? A cartoon shows a skeptic shouting up to the heavens. God, if you're up there, tell us what we should do. Back comes a voice. Feed the hungry. House the homeless. Establish justice. The skeptic looks alarmed. Just testing, he says. And the voice comes back. Me too. Me too. It's possible that the answer to the question can actually help us find joy. He gives them some examples and and, and then answers. And it may seem odd to us. But verse 11, here's what he says. Whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Now when you're reading through that, to me it's just simple. It's a good old-fashioned line here about generosity. The king that is coming is a generous king, right church? Yeah, you can say amen to that. He's a generous king. A key to follow him then is learning in our lives as we go to be generous. Now I want to read a scripture that you know probably pretty well in Matthew chapter 25. We see Jesus, the king who's come, saying these type of things. In verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, (coughs) You are the accursed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
This new life that John is speaking about, this new exodus, we are called to, involves us giving out of our blessings. It involves us giving out of what God has given to us. I, I liked some of the things I heard today from James during the announcement time of, with the homeless ministry. When we were, uh, I pastored in Louisville, Kentucky, we made it a, a point to be ministering to our community. Not just minister to, we wanted to belong with our people in our community. We wanted to share life. We wanted to be present. And so I got a part of, to be a part of the city, uh, the Council for the Schools and Family Council Resource. And when I was on there, I asked them, we, we want to bless, we want to partner with you, we want to know how to bless kids. And so they came to me and they said, well, here's some of the needs in the winter. And so we went and purchased a bunch of gloves. Now, we could not put like certain Christian themes on it or anything like that, but we could write stuff on the gloves. So we bought all these gloves for these little kids who would come to school, and we wrote stuff to them like, you're a rock star, you're great. And our church would gather together, and we would do these kind of things and pull them together because we had been blessed. And we did that. And some folks in the church, there were a few every now and then, would go, oh, why are we doing that? I mean, what, what do you mean? They would act like people didn't have needs. There were needs around us. It's kind of like the chances that churches will have to go and help those in Tennessee that's had tornadoes blow right through their town. It's kind of like you do here as a church at ARO where you go and you share in eastern Kentucky every year the way you bless those people the way you're doing that, that's kind of what this kingdom, this is what this kingdom is about. I want to show you something, this, a picture of something. It may be hard to see, but I want to show you this because it struck me. It's hard to see it, but what that picture says right up there is off the Interstate 65 in Louisville, Kentucky. And I saw this a few years back. It says right there, you can tell, it's like it's, we're, we're setting up for the Christmas season. It's got the camels up in the right corner, but it says, consider a new beginning. Now, doesn't that sound wonderful as you're driving by? Consider a new beginning. Well, that's a season. That's what we talk about. Consider something new. Something's come to us. Well, here's the thing. You can't hardly see it, but you see the bottom of that picture? You see the stuff at the very bottom that's blurry? Do you know what that is, James? That is a huge homeless camp. Right there off Interstate 65. And when I was driving by it that day and I saw the billboard, I thought, well, that's a neat billboard too. I looked to see the area where a lot of our people had done some ministry. And when I looked down and saw where the area was, I thought to myself, my gracious, that new beginning right there sign cost a ton. I wonder what could have been done with all that for the people right here below it. What could the funds do to help the homeless? See, this is part of the reorientation process through repentance that we have to come to. In verse 8, I just want to keep breaking down. The focus was on how they were to save themselves. They come out asking, what are we to do? How are we to be ready? They want to save themselves. That's part of this story, that God does do something in us and for us. But they're also now supposed to be focused on the well-being of others. That's what Christianity is. It's not just about your heart and life. It's about something that's about the, 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 the blessing and well-being of others. So in verse 13, John says these words. I'm just going to break this down, get a little teachy this morning. Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. He said, this is what's happening. This kingdom's coming. This is how you have to be ready because this is how it is. Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Basically, he's saying this. Greed has no place in this kingdom. Greed has no place in this new life. Now, I think back over, this, over the pandemic, and i got to tell you, it was crazy time. I hate to even mention it. 
But it was clear to me that not all, but a, a great deal of, of our citizens had no concept of a greedless lifestyle. They had no concept of it. I, I watched a, one of the Christmas, this is a second reference to a Christmas film. How many know the show Jingle All the Way? You watch that one? I've watched that one before. Uh, th this chase for the Turbo Man action figure for Christmas reminds me of the pandemic time in our world, or at least it was in my city. They were, they were running after everything for toilet paper, for gas, soft drinks, and whatever else you could name. People were trying to gobble it up as fast as they could because they didn't want anyone else to take it. It's funny to me, when I look back, people then and now wrestle with not being first or getting what they want. We wrestle with that. Who cares if nobody else gets food or gas as long as I have it? And the way of the world says, look out for you. Just take care of what you can while you can. If you'll do that, just take care of yourself. Look out for yourself. Then you'll be happy, and that's all that really matters. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. He continues in verse 14. Do not extort money from anyone by the threats of false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Now, this is a call to something different. This is a call, he's saying, in this kingdom to be kind and be content. Don't use others or deal harsh with them out of what you want for yourself. Now, I've seen people lie about others in order to get a promotion. I've worked in places where they lied, they told stories just to get their way. I've seen people lie to people on a job item to get the bid, and then they milk them dry. I have especially seen many scams on job sites that abuse the elderly. We might agree that we shouldn't do that. Probably be easy for us to say we shouldn't do that. But what about the part where he says, be satisfied with your pay? Now, wait a minute. Nobody seems to do that very well. I just saw where there was a fight recently um, this past week, uh, well, the past couple months, there was a fight in the Major League Baseball between the billionaires and millionaires. They were fighting over money. Billionaires and millionaires. And just recently, one of them got a contract this week for $700 million for 10 years. Now, I wouldn't complain about that. $700 million over 10 years. Now, John isn't saying, let me be very clear. John isn't saying you shouldn't get an increase. He's not saying you shouldn't make more money. He's saying be content with the job and the funds that you have. And so when we started this out looking through these scriptures and reading it, we, we saw the expectation was that one repents and enters into this reorientation of life and a life of transformation. And that life, as we walk with this king that comes, will bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. And a life of good fruit is contentment. It's generosity. It's kindness. It's compassion. It's justice. And guess what else that life that bears fruit is? If we follow Jesus... Above all else, that life is also filled with joy, the Scripture says. Joy. People of joy move to a different rhythm of life when you're around them. They move first in obedience to the kingdom of God. And they aren't tripped up by the things of the life that, that don't matter much, the things that don't really have lasting value. They don't get tripped up in that stuff. Through a relationship with Jesus, they know that regardless of the good day or the bad day, that God is with them. And they can have a hope and a peace 
and a joy because he will keep his promises to them. I have a friend named Adam Kidwell. I'll tell you more of his story some other point in time, but Adam, Adam died last December. But during his journey, he had a rare form of cancer. And during his journey, it was, it was amazing to watch when he was diagnosed with this rare form. He, he had to go in and spend hours at the hospital getting treatments. He had surgeries. He had therapy. All this kind of stuff. Adam and his family, they, they went, when he went through all these kind of things, as you can imagine, they owed quite a bit in medical bills. All kinds of, of medical bills. And Adam had been blessed by many in the Christian family during that time. He, he would tell you all about the prayers that people would call, maybe call and pray with him. Or people were calling saying, we are praying for you. He had visits from people from the church. He had gifts sent to people from, from the church. When I say the church, not just his local church, but the Nazarene church, the Nazarene family from around. He had gifts. He had people come and do yard work for him. They'd bring him food by to the house. And one day he called me and he told me something that... that um, that he, he knew, he said, I, I called someone and, and someone had called me and they, they, they asked for some money, he said. I said, someone called you and asked for money? He goes, yes, they called and asked for money. I said, well, what'd you say? I mean, here's somebody who doesn't have, they, he doesn't have anything with all this. He's barely making it with him and his wife and his young daughter. He said, well, you know, I, he told me, he said, I know God has helped me so much and, and I told the person that, that I didn't really have any extra lying around, but... God has blessed me so much, he said, I had to find a way with what I had to bless this person. I said, really? He said, yeah, I gave it to them. And he told me, he goes, I got to tell you something. He said, I'm going to be honest, it felt good, man. He said, it, it was more than just feeling good, though. He said, to help someone else, he said, it, it did something in me. did something in me. I was listening to his story and listening to him talk to me about the things he was doing in his time. I realized what it was in him, what was welling up in him. That Adam was a person who was experiencing and expressing joy. He was knowing what joy was. Even in the battle and the storm of life, he was, he was content all the time when you would call and talk to him. And see, the fruit, the fruit his life was producing was good and right. My friend Adam during that time wasn't always happy. He was, you know, happy is fleeting. He didn't always enjoy going to his doctor visit. He wasn't always thrilled with what they would say. Some days he struggled to breathe after he walked just a few steps. He wasn't always ecstatic about that. Someday when he felt really bad, he didn't want to give a shout out of how all this is wonderful that's happened to him. But Adam lived a life full of joy. God's kingdom is full of provisions, by the way. The next day after he'd helped this person who called and asked him, he called me back to tell me a story. He said, hey, I went to a doctor visit today, and when I talked to the doctor, um, he said, we just talked for a little bit, and he said, I asked the doctor if he was a believer. He said, I could tell something was different about the doctor. And he said, yeah, he's a, he's a believer. He said, so we sat there and we talked and we prayed. He said, and I told the doctor about some of the things that I was hoping to do, wasn't going to be able to do, and he said when he got home later that night, because he had no funds to do some of the things he wanted to do, the doctor called and said, hey, I've been talking to some of my colleagues, and we'd like to help you and your family go on that trip that, that you want to go to see some of your other family members. The same day, someone else called him that, that had tried to be generous and found out that, that the mail didn't go through. They said, hey, we were just checking. that We sent you something mail. He goes, no, I, I never received it. They said, well, we're resending it. And sure enough, they resent him some funds 
And he told me one night that in the Nazarene tournament in Cincinnati, Ohio on Labor Day weekend, he told me up there there was a team from Cincinnati, another Nazarene team that gathered and they knew about his story and they wanted to help him take that trip as well. And he did. And Jesus, in Jesus and following Jesus, Adam knew real joy. God has provision in everything. We don't have to worry about it. We just have to do what he says to do as part of his kingdom. Adam knew real joy. This kingdom is about heart. It's about what happens in us. But it's also about our hands. It's what we do with it. It's how we live in this world. I think, that's, I think that is, uh, that's it, really. Jesus is the way to good news for joy of all people. The last words of the text for the week are this, though. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. Isn't this story full of good news? You can say yes. Yes, it's full of good news. Because no matter who we are or what we've done, God's kingdom is coming to all of us and each of us can choose to accept that gift of repentance and enter into that kingdom or refuse it. We get the opportunity. And it's good news that in Jesus we see a new order, a new way in this life. And Jesus embodied all these things that John talked about. When you read through it, he embodied every bit of it. He didn't expect us just to get it right all the time. And he didn't expect us to just figure it out. He modeled it and lived it before us. He showed all of us how to be generous, how to be compassionate, how to be kind, how to be content, and showed us how to give up greed and love our neighbor and act justly toward others regardless of who they are or where they come from. Now, if you want to experience something different than just a few moments of happiness here and there in your life, if you want to have real joy, then there's only one way to walk in that. That is to repent in certain areas of our lives, whatever it may be, that needs reorientation, that needs transformation, and say to, G to, to Jesus... I want everything that you have for me. If you want more than just happiness, that's how you enter into joy. Quit trying to do it your way and do it his. I'm glad that joy isn't merely a feeling brought on by circumstances. It's a deep and abiding state brought on by our connection with Jesus. It's not passive, but it's fostered through the ways that our lives are continually transformed to look more like Jesus. When we lay aside our discontent, when we share with others, when we find ways to seek justice and compassion in the world, then we find these profound moments of joy that we can't help but share with the world around us. And so we declare, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Because Christ has truly brought joy in this kingdom that is breaking through even now. Through and in us, we give him thanks. R.A. Torrey said, There is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. I've tried them both, he says. He's right. He's right. So this morning, I want us to kind of celebrate Celebrate the king who has come and the king who's coming again. And I also want us to think about our lives. I want us to think, our, you know, when you think about yourself, 
Am I a person that's living in joy? Do I have joy in my life? Or am I just dabbling with these moments of happiness? Am I a person who have have walked with Jesus in such a way that my life has been changed in such a way that every step I take, this, this, this stuff just oozes out of me and spreads to the world? Because every time I come across somebody who's experienced or living in joy, and when you talk to them, it's always more than just, hey, I feel good. It's always about some of the things they've experienced as they've done what the kingdom of God is all about. As they've lived it out in their lives, they're able to share that. Now, if that's not you this morning, what a great time to say, you know what? Repentance isn't a bad word, it's a good word. Today could be a chance for me to repent of some of the things that I've been missing out on. Today's a chance for me to repent in some of the ways I've not been obedient to God. In some of the ways that maybe I'm missing this joy. Today is a chance for us to come and receive and walk with our Savior. It's an invitation. So we're going to sing a song this morning if you would stand. We're going to sing an old song, you know, Joy to the World. And maybe this morning, the way to close out for you in your life is to say, you know, I just want to come and pray. I want to be sure that I'm not missing it in some way. I want to be sure that if John the Baptist was still speaking out in that desert and I had went out there, that I wouldn't be one he was talking about, that I'd actually be one that was running to repentance and wanting to live in everything that God has for me. I want the more that John is talking about in this scripture. I want the more. So as he sings this morning, sing with him. And if you want to come pray, would you please do so?